Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. We're going to welcome our Spring Lake Park campus here this morning. We love you all. We're thankful to be a part of a, of a body that's impacting multiple cities in this state. Amen. And so we're just uh, blessed to, today. And how many are just thankful to be a part of a spirit-filled church? Amen. How many are thankful for a creative church? So I can tell you what we are seeing God do is unique. Amen. It is unique to see God do everything that he is doing. And I, I just want to encourage you, you know, in this season of life, we live in a, in a nation that people are ultra-critical. I mean, what I'm talking about, ultra-critical. And uh, I just want to just say this. Any area of your life that you feel like you're criticizing somebody in, here's what I want you to just encourage you to do. Do what they do, and you'll stop criticizing. <laughs> Hear what I'm telling you? We, I mean, this is the generation of people that, that we will pay a pay-per-view to watch two fighters who spend their entire lives dedicated to nutrition and training and working out and are paid a lot of money to do it, and we get in the cage and fight it out while other people call them bums while they eat chips. <laughs> Hear what I'm telling you? Like, that's, that's the world we live in, right? We're, we're the observing culture. Like, that's what we do. We will... After, we will, we will line up in front of our TV sets, eating some of the most awful things imaginable while we yell at professional athletes. You're a bum. You shouldn't even have a job. Okay? That's what we do. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you in areas of your life where you find yourself being overly critical, sign up for a minute. The Bible says, take up your cross and follow me. And here's what I know about carrying. When you're carrying a heavy cross... It takes everything you got. Hear what I'm telling you? It takes everything you got. Religion makes you look at other people. Hear what I'm telling you? Religion makes you look at other people. Holiness makes you look at you. Spirituality makes you examine your heart. Religion will make you examine everybody else's. Some of you have met those people. I can tell by looking at you. You've encountered them. But, you know, I have uh, had the fortunate experience of being in church most of my life. And my parents had raised me to fear God, to love him. I was taught amazing lessons throughout my life. And, you know, one of the things they always emphasized to me is that I had a real enemy that I was facing. That Satan is a real thing. He's not a, a conception. He's not an idea. That he's a, he's a, he's a person. That the Bible says that he seeks like a roaring lion whom he may devour. And so I always had this understanding that there was a real enemy. And as a child, I was fairly concerned about this. I was fairly concerned about demons. I was fairly concerned about Satan himself and worried about those things and anything that was dark or evil. And uh, to this day, at my age, I still do not watch scary movies. Hear me. I'm not, I, I hear, hear my reason why. The reason why is the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Therefore, I'm not paying to get one. Help me somebody. I'm not doing that. I did some of that when I was a teenager. And like from that, every creak, every, every moan, every move, I, you know, I'm in mess for like three or four days. 
I don't need that in my life. You know what I mean? I don't need that. I need peace. And the older I get, the more I like peace. The more I like to be around peaceful people. I mean, I'm telling you, chaos is not something I like being around. And the older I get, the more I'm, I'm drawn to it. Now I understand why you have the old timer just sitting in a rocking chair on his porch talking to nobody. I get it. I, that's, that's what I aspire to be. Amen? Like that's, that's the mark I'm pressing towards is what I'm saying. But I understand it. But here is what I feel like I was not really guided in or taught or made really, really aware of is that I knew that I had an enemy that's Satan. But I did not realize that a close number two was my flesh. I did not realize the opposing factor that this flesh suit that I have been living in since the day I took my first breath wars against God's purpose and plan in my life. I was not acutely aware enough. I was taught, you know, not to sin and try to abstain from sin. And, but I wasn't really given the why. I didn't realize that so many of the things that my flesh desires to do is going to destroy me. Listen, the why is as important as the what. Hear what I'm telling you? The why is as important as the what. And the why is the fact that sin leads to destruction. That the Bible says that the wages of sin... That which with you are getting paid with is death. No other job is that a good situation. Apply for that job. Say, you know, we work average hours, 40 hours a week, uh, got benefits, got vacation, but we pay in death. Uh, what? But the Bible's literally telling you for the wages, what you are paid in is destruction. It is death. But our flesh is so drawn to it. It's like a moth to the flame. Got to get an amen about it. We are drawn to it. And so when I look and examine the life of Christ, who was in the flesh, he was both God and man. The Bible says he was tempted in all manner of ways that we were, meaning that he actually experienced the desire, the draw, the pull of temptation. We need to understand that because I think many of us just say he was tempted like it was like an abstract thought. No, his flesh was drawing on him to do the same things that we fall for every day. And you must understand that being all God and all man, the struggle at times. I mean, we look at the life of Christ and some of the things that he endured. I mean, it, it's amazing the fact that he endured crucifixion. It's one thing to endure it as a man. It's another thing to endure it as God. Because as man, you can say, God, I make the decision. I make the decision. I'm, I willingly lay my life down. It's a whole other ballgame when your naked back is stripped down and they take a cat of nine tails or wrap it across your flesh and rip out hunks of you. The God side of you would have to want to raise up in that moment and say, God, kill them all. Kill them all. Can I get, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I could call down legions of angels, you can imagine the struggle that would be going on in the, in the mind and heart of Christ as he endures the cross. Why was he able to do such things? It's because he crucified his own flesh before he was ever crucified on a cross. He crucified his flesh through fasting. He crucified his life through prayer. He crucified his flesh through obedience. Do you understand that obedience in our culture is a dirty, nasty word? Discipline is a nasty word in our culture. I mean, I'm talking about it's a nasty word. We don't want discipline. I want everything that my flesh wants at all points and times. And we are able to deliver, deliver it at a faster level now than we've ever been able to. 
I can remember ordering stuff as a child from a catalog. How many of you guys remember a catalog? Do you remember these things? They were the size of an Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> and you had to flip through. You had to find a concordance to find the toy section. And then you would flip to the toy section, and then you would go and you would carry this thing to your parents and tell them the things that you wanted. And if they ordered something for you, it was weeks. It would be so long coming to the mail, you forgot you even ordered it. You're like, what is this? Did you order something? Oh, I did order this. It was like a month and a half, and we, we thought that was completely normal. Not now. Now we have one-hour delivery. Now we're testing out drones to see if they can deliver to you the same. And we wonder why we are becoming more impatient. Here is why you are more impatient. is because you're feeding your flesh at a higher level. And because we are not aware that we are to crucify our flesh and put it under subjection to Christ, our flesh is, even in the church world, is dictating to us how we follow Christ. It is dictating how we treat people. It is dictating the fruit that comes out of our lives. We're saved on Sunday, but we got business to do Monday. But that is not the Christianity that Jesus paid the price for. That is not the example that the Bible talks about. I never was told about the enemy of my flesh. Then my enemy will lie to me. My, my flesh will make me jealous over things that were never meant to be mine in the first place. I was never taught that, that my anger sometimes was attached to my own insecurities and my own inadequacies. And the fact that some of those things needed to be put under the blood of Jesus and not reacted on every time. I didn't, I didn't know. I never was taught any of that. So I want to help you this morning to realize there's a reason why you've been attending 10 years of church and still aren't set free. Because what you need done in your life is not going to be coming out of the end of a prayer line. It's going to come out of a disciplined life that crucifies himself daily. Because the gospel is not magic. The gospel is principle applied to your life. Turn with me to Galatians, if you would, chapter 5. Again in verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So I just want to pause there. How in the world has church in America became what it is currently become? Self-pleasing, self-focused, self-driven, flesh-gratifying. It has happened because we have placed ourselves on the throne of our own lives. It has happened because we are not in the word of God where it tells us to walk in freedom. Not freedom to do whatever we want to do, but freedom from sin. Freedom from this flesh that governs our life. Some of you, if you are really being honest with yourself, if you were to take a time of reflection, you would realize some of the hardest seasons in life, you put yourself there. 
Oh, it's frustrating, isn't it? Don't you just hate it? Isn't it a troubling thing to realize that when you look yourself in the mirror, you are literally eyeball to eyeball with your greatest enemy? Your greatest enemy, who you primp and polish and love and glorify in and are worried about and worried about preserving, and yet he seeks to destroy you. The truth is this, is that a lot of you say things to yourself that you would fight anyone else over. Hear what I'm telling you. Some of you give yourself a daily dose of self-deprecating, hateful speech. I'll show you an example. You get up in the morning, you look yourself in the mirror and go, oh my Lord. What is wrong with your face? Oh my gosh, why did he ever marry me? Why did she... Why did she ever say I do? I would have said I don't. I don't understand. What is, oh my, that breath. What did I eat? Was it, oh my, God. it's no wonder you can't get promoted. It's no wonder why you've never written that. You're never going to write that book because your dad was never able to write, your, uh, write a book. You, the reason you're like, and you, here you go through this, and no one knows this. No one, no one knows this is what's going on because this is what they get. But inside, the war that is going on within you that has nothing to do with the devil, that has nothing to do with demonic powers, it has everything to do with trauma. It has everything to do with you giving other people too much place in your life and speaking things when you were a child and that stuff was never, ever, ever thrown off of you. And so now you're 45 years old and you still think that you're stupid. You still think that you can't accomplish anything. You still think you shouldn't write a book. There's everything within you is telling you you should launch a business. Everything within you is telling you you should write a book. Everything within you is telling that you could be a benefit to somebody. But this voice, what is it? It's your flesh. Your flesh, who has 100% access to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and whispers death over you. And what do we do? We feed it. We perm it. We straighten it. We polish it. We love it. We relish in it. Can I get an amen? We do all of those things and then wonder, why is my flesh so strong? Because out of all the church services and all the things, the one thing you have never learned how to do is to tell your flesh to hush up. You have never learned to tell yourself, I, am, I was born this way, but I am new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm not that man anymore. I'm not that woman anymore. I won't be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm going to, the whole side of this family tree that's attached to me is going to look totally different than the rest of them. Hear what I'm telling you. I've made a commitment to my children. Our branch of the family tree is going to have fruit and flowers. It's going to be intricate and beautiful and wonderful. I know I got trauma in my family. I know there's abuse in my family. I know that all these things are going on. But I'm crucifying this flesh daily. That Not that I might live, that Christ shall live in me. Can I get an amen about it? He said you're called to be free. 
Walk in freedom. Freedom from your flesh. Freedom from the ideals of this world. Freedom from all of the curses and things that your family or that Satan himself has placed on you. But how do we do it? We do it by disciplining this flesh. There's a reason why you can do anything else during the day and you have no battle at all. But the second you open your Bible, all of a sudden... You get phone calls and text messages, and you have thoughts that you never thought in your life. Ridiculous stuff. I wish you guys could see what I see. Because some of you are like, I thought that was just me. I mean, I'm talking goofy thoughts. I'm talking like, you're like, I'm going into the throne room. I'm going to go, I'm going to pray. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to get in. And you go and you do all that you need to do. And you finally set up and you get in there and, and, you, and, you, and you get that music going. And all of a sudden, I don't know, you're like, I wonder if they still make fruit straight gum. I'm going to hope that's still a thing. I wonder why they call it bitter honey. It's not, it's, I don't even know why they call it that. Why? And the reason you're laughing is because you've all experienced it. What do they call it ketchup? You don't have to catch up. It's just like, I don't know, stupid. Why? Because your flesh is ignorant. Because our flesh is undisciplined. Because our flesh is given over to whatever it fancies in that moment. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And he said that you were to walk in freedom. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Verse 17. And the spirit is against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Do you hear that verse? The flesh, you, are keeping yourself away from doing the things you really want to do. It is the opposing force. That's why you'll make a commitment. Tomorrow I'm getting up early to pray. And then the alarm goes off. I'm going to fast. We got fasting coming up. How many excited about that? Amen. Amen. I don't know anything about that. Because um, I struggle to fast. You can't tell by looking at me, but I like to eat a lot. I am what is known as a foodie. I get so excited about food, people like to watch me. They're like, That's, I've never seen anybody get that excited over a turkey sandwich. I'm like, you know, like, I just love it. I used to own restaurants, and so I just love everything about that world. But here's the reality. It's hard. It's supposed to be. You hear what I'm telling you? Discipline is meant to crucify this flesh. You, are, you have to be willing and understanding that you're going to have to dig in to bring about change in your life. Salvation is free. Intimacy is not. Intimacy costs you something. Do you hear what I'm telling you, church? Intimacy costs you something. You know when, I, when people are really serious about an intimacy with God? Their entire speech pattern changes. Here's what happens when somebody really starts walking in, wanting intimacy to go closer to God. Here's the stuff that comes out of their mouth. You know, I used to be able to get by with that, but now, man, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's convicting me. I just feel like I can't get by with that anymore. I used to do it, and it used to be okay, but now I'm just in a season. Of, those are people you know that are getting closer to the throne room. People who are not saying stuff like this. I'm not really convicted by that. I'm not really convicted by that. Don't really feel, yeah, it's, you know, it's not, I know the Bible says out and out not to do it, but I don't really feel convicted by that. Oh, it got really quiet. 
Hear what I'm telling you? Because some of you have experienced it. When you really start digging in and you really start disciplining the flesh, the Holy Spirit will start convicting you and dealing with things that the rest of the church can get by with, but you can't. Let me say it this way. My wife and I, March 25th, this coming year, will have been married 24 years. The reason why we're going to be celebrating, celebrating 24 years of marriage is because both of us have learned how to forgive, how to let go, how to be loving, how to serve one another. How to, how, do you hear what I'm telling you? It's the product of intimacy. It's the product of walking closer. I don't get up in the morning going, man, I can't wait for my house to wake up so they can serve me. I haven't had that thought in years. When my feet hit the ground, my feet hit the ground and my thoughts are, what are going on with the rest of my family and how can I make their life easier? Why did that happen? It happened because I was frustrated about 10 years into my relationship and my marriage and I was in the morning grumbling. My flesh was grumbling and I'm complaining about why is she still doing this? I just don't understand. Like, I just don't know how much more I can take this. It's just all that stuff. Quietly, of course. I don't want to hear me. So I'm murmuring, but the Holy Spirit hears all of it. So right in the middle of me brushing my teeth, the Holy Spirit says, um, son, you're the problem. What? He said, you're the problem. Because none of your murmuring or your complaining fixes her. You can only work about crucifying you. So here's what I want you to do. Whatever standard of cleanliness you want in this house, you're going to bring it. Whatever standard of servanthood you want in your house, you're going to bring it. I love these guys who are like, I'm the head of my house. Then do something, sir. Stop being the mouth of your house and start being the head of your house and lead well. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Lead well. Lead under the authority of Christ. So I didn't complain not one more time. If something needed done, I did it. If something needed fixed, I fixed it. If something needed thrown away, I threw it away. If something needed organized, I'd organize it. But here's what I found. I'm a guy, and I'm not very organized. So when I would organize, I didn't do it her standard, and she would go back and make it perfect. But all of a sudden, our marriage started changing, and all of a sudden, there was a love and a sensitivity. Why? I, as the head of my household, led the change. How did I do it? By crucifying my wants, my desires, my needs, my complaints, and saying, God, you serve me, I'll serve my family. God, the example you showed me was to serve, and I will serve. I will not demand. I will not lord over my family. I will love them and support them and back them every way that I can. It was the defining moment in my life, in my ministry, in the way I I treat people in the way that I love people is when you adopt the mindset that my flesh, my thoughts, my wants, my desires are the things that work against me. I'm telling you, it's a revelation you need this morning. There's some of you, can't, you can't even fathom that somebody in Target would absolutely bring their buggy or their cart. I'm sorry, I'm from the South. They, they could be like, a buggy? What is he talking about? There's bugs in Target? What? It's the problem when you keep moving and doing ministry and people talk different everywhere you go. But that their cart would get in front of you, act like it, they, their whole purpose in life that morning was that they got up in this morning and said, I'm going to inconvenience this guy. You know what I mean? Like, 
That's how some of us live our lives. Like that is their role in life. That 84-year-old woman who's barely able to make ends meet, she got up that morning with the thought of making you miserable. That was her desire and goal. Like that literally is what kept her alive till this moment. Like I'm gonna meet him. That's why he said, listen, you're to walk in freedom. What's freedom? Freedom in that moment is God. Maybe there's a purpose and a plan for why she diverted in my path. You know the thing I noticed about the men and women in the Bible is that when they got slowed down, they always seen it as an opportunity. Do you hear what I'm telling you? They always seen it as an opportunity. They weren't angry, like, oh my gosh, why are you here? No, they said, oh, this is an opportunity to minister. This is it. He said, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 16, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Are you ready? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Strife is when you are arguing and fighting over things that really don't matter. Jealousy, jealous of the blessings that God puts in other people's lives. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, say this with me, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And as a believer, that should worry you. Hear what I'm telling you. Why? I've been in the church 44 years. I've counseled pastors. I've counseled church leaders. I've talked to a lot of great men and women of God who have practiced these things in their life for long periods of time because they were deceived by the enemy that thinking that their works somehow set them up for righteousness. And instead of submitting their life to God, they were living a double life. Listen. If I have spent as much time as I have in church serving people to get to the end and God go, mm -mm, you're, not, you're, not, you're not going to heaven and, and here's why. Because this stuff, you know how aggravated I'm going to be? He said if this stuff is operating, if you practice this in your day-to-day -day life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. No, but hold on, hold on, hold on. I serve twice a month. I go to church on Sundays. I give. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Your righteousness, filthy rags. Then what does it require? Crucifying your flesh. That means when somebody gets blessed who you don't think deserves it, you've got to applaud that. Listen, we live in the most comparative society that the world has ever seen due to social media. Which is ridiculous because nobody ever takes pictures of their bad moments. How many know no one falls down a flight of stairs and it's like, yeah, fall in life. Like, nobody does that. Right? Like, nobody spills soup all over the front of their shirt and like, yeah, Living my bed, no one does, like what's not, 
We take a, a picture with filters in the best moment, the best light possible. That's why a lot of times you get offended when you see people out in public. They just don't recognize you. Don't, don't take it personal. They just, they just didn't know. They seen you without three chins. They didn't know, all right? They didn't know. You know what I mean? They just, they, didn't, they thought you had a tan in February. You know what I mean? They didn't know. Like, but we compare. We look. We say, I wish my life, I wish my husband, I wish not realizing that none of it's real. It's a false reality. He said, listen, any of these things that are practiced in your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say this, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are you hearing that? And those who belong to Christ Jesus, how do we know? They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The product of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the thing about the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at what the fruit is, it is not wax fruit. It is real fruit. Anyone grew up with a grandma that had wax fruit? You will never take a bite out of wax fruit, be honest. Nothing about it's good. The fruit of the Spirit is not wax. It is not fake. It is seeable by a lost and dying world. How does it, here is how it operates. Is that when you have a moment that your flesh would be violent, they see gentleness. When something's done to you where people mistreat you, they see love. When they see an opportunity that you are put out, they see patience. Why? Because the world does not need you. They need the fruit of the Spirit through you. They need men and women that are set apart from their emotions and the feelings of this world and have the applied fruit of God coming out of their life. You know why you have so many people that go to Sunday morning service and go, oh, Jesus, I lift your name on high. You're the holy of the holies. And then you go to the restaurant afterwards and act awful because you're not crucifying your flesh. Listen, I used to have men's and women's recovery homes for men and women that were, that were getting set free from drug and alcohol addiction. And most of them had worked in the food industry. And here's what all of them told me. Listen, I've had hundreds of these conversations. And they said, I, you know, I recently have given my life to Christ, but I have to be honest with you. I never wanted to be a Christian. And I said, why? Because for me, Jesus coming into my life is the best gift I've ever been given. So I said, why? why? Like, why would you? And they said, well, here's why. Because I used to be a waitress or I used to be a server. And all I knew was these people would come in on Sunday dressed better than I did who wouldn't tip and they complain more than everybody else imaginable. And so I realized anybody that hateful, that nasty, I don't want to be a part of that group. This is why a lost and dying world doesn't want a perfect Jesus. It's because we are not representing him well. But it's possible for us to. We just need a revelation of the price of Jesus and to start crucifying this flesh. Hear what I'm telling you. So they got your sweet tea wrong. Show them patience. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I mean, just think about this. On a story, we're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wage war against the gates of hell. 
um, my soup, it's lukewarm. I am not tolerating this. Do you, do you hear what I'm telling you? Like, we're going to fight on principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness over this world. Uh, my fish is undercooked. I would like a... Do you hear what I'm telling you? Like... At some point in time, we've got to realize that a lost and dying world needs a true and living Jesus. And the way they get a true and living Jesus is when men and women who were once part of the lost and dying world who have been truly set free, give them the fruit of the, of the evidence of him in their life. It's contagious. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Jesus is the best gift I've ever had, guys. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because without him, I'm hateful, I'm vengeful. You hear what I'm telling you? I'm violent. I am all of those things. And I hope for those of you who have learned to know me well here, say, I don't believe any of that. That's the best compliment you could ever give me. Because here's what you just told me. All I've ever seen in you is Christ. But here's the payoff. It says, we live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What does that mean? How do we become conceited? By seeing the fruit of God in our life and taking credit for it. Hear what I'm telling you? I don't stand up here today because I'm a great man. I stand up here today because I've been set free by a great man, and I've fallen in love with him because he first fell in love with me. Amen? I stand up here because at the age of 11 years old, I, I felt like Jesus called me in the ministry and I gave him my yes. I had no idea where that would land me. I had no idea that the difficulties I would walk through. I'd know, I have no idea the amount of people that I would have hurt me, betray me, stab me in the back, walk out of my life, all as a product of me trying to follow Jesus. You need to hear what I'm telling you. You need to understand that following Jesus is a selfless walk. You need to understand that it comes with hurt and heartache and pain. There's a reason why they use all of these analogies like crucify your flesh, take up your cross. There's a reason because a lost and dying world is lost and dying and they act lost and dying. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Sinners are going to sin. They're going to be nasty. They're going to be mean. They're going to be hateful. Why? Because they don't have Jesus living on the inside of them. But you do or you're supposed to. And the reason you've not walked in victory is not because you haven't got enough information or enough podcasts or enough prayer lines. It's simply because you have never been told that your own flesh is the very thing that you need to put on a cross and say, I'm not going to allow you to define me. I once was rage-filled, but today I'm a man of peace. One day I was violent, but today I'm no longer. I am under the blood of Jesus. I will not be like my father. I will not be like my grandmother. I will not allow abuse to touch my children. My children won't know about that. I'm not going to be angry like my father was angry. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm crucifying this flesh. And when you fall, you tell yourself, this is my due north. This is my due north. God, I want to walk. I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit of God. I want to keep in step with the Spirit of God. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Jesus says something to the disciples. He said, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And they're great ones that exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the definition of church leadership. That is what it looks like. Because during these times, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders lorded over the church. Everyone knew who they were. Everyone separated and got out of the way because they were not nice guys. But Jesus is building a new church. And he's talking to the apostles of this new church. And he said, these men lord over the people. But it will not be that way for you. That's what you call a spanking before the spanking's necessary. It will not be that way for you. You want to be great? You must serve. And he's looking at them and listen. It's one thing for someone to say this to you. It's another thing for someone like Jesus who's getting ready to lay his life down to say this. To say, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I want to give my life. I want to give my life. You know how much it grieves my heart when I see some of the stuff that I see in today's church? As if they're the ones that paid the price? As if they're the ones that laid their life down? And listen, unfortunately, I've been that guy because I was brought up seeing examples and just walking it out. But I want to tell you, as believers in Christ, the quicker you realize that this guy or this lady is working against you, the better off you'll be. The next level you believe you're called to, the next thing, the next idea, the vision, the dream, the things that you've been filled in your heart to do that you've never done is on the other side of you crucifying you. It's the other side of you nailing yourself on a cross and saying, God, I'm not even doing this because I think I'm good at it. I'm doing this because I feel like I'm being obedient to you. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Listen, the first time I ever preached the gospel, I was 12 years old. The pastor at the time said he's going to let me preach a Sunday night service. I prepared for weeks. I wish I could still find that spiral round notebook. It had a blue paper cover on the front. I spent weeks working on this message. I had like 13 or 14 pages of notes. I was so prepared to be the next Billy Graham. You have no idea. You have no idea. And so I'm studying and preparing, and I walk through there Sunday night, and the, you know, the worship team does their thing, and the offering comes up. And it's just a, just a little church, and he calls me up to the front, and I did my best bishop walk. So stupid. But I get up there. And I, you know, I do the Christianese, turn to your neighbor. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm 12. You know what I mean? Like, 
And I'm sure the church got the biggest kick out because I was like, you know, I was like a church. Everyone knew me. And I get into my notes and I blessed them, man. I blessed them that day. I, and four and a half minutes later, I'm like, I get to my last, I'm like, oh dear God. I'm in my, I started going back to the front again. I'm like, I don't know what. I'm like, and in conclusion, <laughs> fortunately the pastor wasn't his first day. And he hopped up and he hugged me. He said, hey, didn't he do an amazing job? And everyone applauded. I didn't do an amazing job. <laughs> nah, it was a dumpster fire. I can tell you right now. It's hard to tell if he was even theologically sound. All right, it's, it's really. But he put his arm around me and he said, didn't he do an amazing job? Let's pray over him right now. And they put their hands and everyone prayed for me. And then the pastor preached about another 25 minutes. They had an amazing altar call to which I took credit for later. Because I broke up the fallow ground. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> But I simply said, God, I'll give you my yes. And I could, uh, I could write a book about the amount of times I've dropped the ball. And the volume of what I don't know is much larger than the volume of what I do. But every day I wake up and say, God, I want to be more like you. And every encounter I have, God, I want to be more like you. And if I get myself in a place where I'm too tired or too much like Andrew and I hurt somebody, I've learned to go back around and say, I need to apologize and repent to you. What I did, you got a lot of me, and that's not acceptable. I'm here to serve you and to love you, and if I hurt you, I apologize. You know what that's called? It's called nailing your flesh to a cross. And as leaders, we got to get excellent with it. Hear what I'm telling you? Husbands, fathers... We tend to be the loudest voice in the room many times. Learn to be great at it. Musicians, you can come. I'm going to leave you with one last story. Years ago, there was this large U.S. destroyer going through the oceans. It was in a massive storm was taking place. Pelting rain, lightning, thunder. There was fog that had moved in across the ocean. Couldn't see right in front of you. And the captain of this vessel looked out and he seen a light way, way, way off in the distance. And so he radios out. He said, vessel, this is Admiral so-and-so. I need you to divert your course or you're going to run into us. And we will capsize you. We will destroy your vessel. And he waits a minute. And all of a sudden he gets a radio back. He said, Admiral, we need you to change your course because the current course you have will lead to destruction. We need you to change your course. Well, the Admiral's indignant. How dare him? I'm an Admiral. and I'm on top of a destroyer. I'm, and so he radios back. He said, I want to make myself clear. I am an Admiral. I am currently on a United States destroyer coming across the ocean. You need to divert your course. If you do not, you will be capsized. You will be destroyed in the process. And he waits. He's made it very clear of his position. He's made it very clear that he is the superior vessel. And so he waits in silence as they continue to head towards this light. After about a two-minute wait, he gets a radio back. It says, Admiral so-and-so, we are a lighthouse. 
we need you to change your course. Why do I share that story? Because that is the standard that God has set forward as a lighthouse. It is immovable. And those that refuse to submit themselves in humility and crucify their flesh will be smashed against it. Listen, I love this nation. But we are an arrogant nation. And we have forgot our way. We stand where we stand because we had forefathers that knew how to pray. Hear me, they knew how to pray. Even some of our forefathers who were believed not to even serve, they, they were believed they were agnostic or even possibly atheist, were still found in prayer rooms. Why? Because they realized without God they were nothing. And in this country, we have become conceited. We think it is our work ethic that we are somehow innately special and that we will not suffer. But church, hear what I'm telling you. If we do not divert our course, if we do not divert our course, we will be brought to nothing, just like every other nation before us. Because the God that we serve is far bigger than the United States of America. The God that we serve is far larger than the globe that we sit upon. The Bible literally says that the entire universe and galaxies are but the span of his hand. That's how tiny we are. Humility needs to be the cloak that we wear every day. God, make us more like you. Listen, a prayer line's not going to fix this. Men and women laying themselves on an altar again and weeping and travailing before God and saying, God, I crucify this flesh daily. It is not I who live, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. Will you stand with me today?